Okay. We are now rolling. Let me pull up notes. Hold on to the night. HPPodcraft.com The boat was brought to a sand still. Captain Jones reached out his hand for the object, which he now discerned to be glass bottle. Nothing but a rum flask that the men on a passing boat threw over, he said. But from an impulse of curiosity, he reached out for it. It was a rum flask, and he was about to throw it away when he noticed a piece of paper in it. He pulled it out, and on it read the following... I am John Jones, who writes this letter. My ship is fast sinking with treasure on board. I am where it is marked on the enclosed chart. That's a paragraph from H.P. Lovecraft's The Little Glass Bottle, which may in fact be his first story that he ever wrote. Well, it's certainly the first one in existence. Uh, It's from 1897 which would make him seven years old. Seven years old when he wrote this. When it was written. And you're joining us here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. Now, lately we've been covering stories by other writers, but because we hated Bram Stoker's Lair of the White Worm so much last week... We had Man. some space. Well, we've been getting emails from folks every once in a while saying, hey, you never did The Alchemist, or you never did these these mm-hmm. earlier stories of his. Yeah, when we started the show, we started with The Tomb, because that's the first sort of... Even in that podcast, we said that was his first adult story. Yeah. I mean, it's the first one he wrote where he's a grown-up. Whereas the ones we're about to cover in the, this episode and the next are all before he was 20 years old. Yeah. Actually, Chad and I are talking to each other face-to-face right now. Yeah. Chris is in California, so these next two shows were actually in the same room together, which yeah. we never get the chance to do this. And we're even using our old uh, mics and mixer from when we used to when we started the show yeah. a few years ago. Anyway, I've, I've spent a lot of time working with children and mm. doing creative projects. Yeah. Uh, and... It's really fun. Kids are, they're, they're kind of unbound and they do strange things that people don't normally do. And I find it really exciting. And it was kind of fun to go back to these stories and read them because they come from such a strange place. <laughs> they're so surprising is the they're word so for it. They're so surprising. Yeah, yeah. You just don't see it coming. Our reader was Hazel Holmes. Yeah. And she is age eight. She's age eight, yeah. She's a, a, f- a friend of mine. I've known her since she was born. And uh, yeah, she's a great reader. And thank you, Hazel, for, for reading for us. <laughs> thank you, Hazel. Now, this story, there's actually a little picture in it. Yeah, there's a drawing, a map. <laughs> yeah, so when, when we, what we heard there, what Hazel read, uh, we've got some sailors. Mm-hmm. And they find this bottle. Yeah, there's a captain whose name is uh, William Jones. He's a stocky fella. And he's working with this other guy. John Towers is on his boat. They found a bottle. And uh, in the bottle was a message, and the message was basically saying, hey, uh, our ship's going down. We have a lot of treasure on board. If you find this, come to these lo- this location, and there's a map. Very primitive-looking map. <laughs> really primitive. You see a little Australia on the side, and it's the Indian Ocean, and then there's just little asterisks with uh, tons of ellipses after yeah. it. If you look at hplovecraft.com on the story, and we'll link out to it, you can see the illustration. The so story. Captain Jones says, Towers, read this. I think it would pay to go. Do you? He's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so they charter a boat. They follow the dotted lines of the chart, and in four <laughs> weeks they reach the place where the map tells them to go. Right. They've got divers, which they send down, uh-huh. and they come back up with an iron bottle, and in it is a note that says, "Dear searcher, excuse me for the practical joke I've played on you." <laughs> but it serves you right to find nothing for your foolish act. What was this foolish act? <laughs> well, to, to spend all this money r- to get a ship based on a note he found in a bottle. That's a pretty stupid thing to do. It is, okay. Because 
who wrote that who wrote that note? It could have been it could have been kid, it could have been anybody, a crazy person, or a practical joke. A practical joker. Well, Captain Jones realizes the folly of his ways immediately because he goes, Well, it does. <laughs> It does serve me right, but go on. And then the note says, I will defray. Is somebody reading that to him, by the way? It says, go on to the note. He says, go on. Yeah, I, I assume Tower was yeah. reading the note. It says, I'll defray your expenses, though. Which is $25. <laughs> and then the captain says one of the greatest lines ever written in Lovecraft. I'd like to kick his head off, said Captain Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kick his head off. <laughs> and it did. It did mitigate his expenses, this $25 uh, dollars that yeah. was inside the iron box. <laughs> like to kick his head off. <laughs> it's so great. But yeah, he the, he was he taught him a lesson, but he reimbursed him. Yeah. And so, in the end, he says, you know, I'm probably never going to go on one of these crazy adventures again. Yeah. In the end. Well, what's the next story? We the next story is called The Secret Cave. And this was written by Lovecraft about a year later. So he would have been uh, eight years old. Yeah, eight years old. The... The age of our readers, so Hazel, read that first line for us. Now be good children, said Mrs. Lee, while I am away, and don't get into mischief. Man, this is a pretty, this is a really disturbing story, especially when you know it's written by an eight-year-old. And yeah. <laughs> it's got a, it's two titles, too. It's The Secret Cave or John Lee's Adventure. Oh, I wouldn't call it an adventure, man. It's, yeah. It's pretty horrible. It's, it's pretty horrible, so... <laughs> So what happens So here? this guy, uh, this kid, John, uh, yeah. he's 10 years old, and he's got a little sister, Alice, who's two years old. Two years old. Two, big, big which age is difference. very little. They go into the basement where they're, where he's building a boat out of kind of old barrel parts, and there is, here's his sister cry, and there's a wall that's crumbled away, and it kind of leads into this passage. Yeah, she almost falls into it, yeah. I think, when the, the bricks go away and he grabs her. Yeah. He can't see in there. It's dark. So he goes, hey, I'm going to go get some light, some candles, uh, some matches. And they kind of go on a little bit of a, of an exploration. First thing mm-hmm. they find is a, a, is a box, uh, but there's nothing in it. They keep going, exploring, and then mm-hmm. they come to a small box, which John grabs, mm-hmm. but doesn't look at. No, he just kind of carries it with him. And right. then there's sort of an obstacle at the end of the, the passageway. Well, they come to a boat with r- two oars. Right, of course. I forgot now, about finding boat. that boat should have tipped him off to something. Yeah, that... That, that maybe there's a reason why a boat would be down here. <laughs> right. So there's an obstruction in the cave. He pulls the obstacle away, and to his dismay, water rushed in in torrents. Yes. And he can hold his breath for a long time. Right. Basically, he's under the water holding his sister and the box. Yeah. And he's trying to catch sight of the boat so he can grab it. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult because he's holding both the box and his sister. Yeah. The first time I read this, I didn't get that. But I think this is, I think he's writing a little morality tale here. Yeah. I think that's what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. Well, what happens because he's holding the box and his sister, we think, yeah. uh, she drowns and dies. Lifting the now lifeless body of his sister into the boat. This writing right here is, this is definitely young Lovecraft. Sailed down the passage. It was gruesome and uncanny. Absolutely dark, his candle being put out by the flood and a dead body lying near. <laughs> yeah. He rode for his life and didn't look up, and then his parents come home and he tells them the story. And then we get this last paragraph. The funeral of Alice occupied so much time that John quite forgot about the box. But when they did opened it they found it to be solid gold chunk worth about ten thousand dollars enough to pay for anything but the death of his sister man (laughs) eight 
He was eight years old when he wrote this. I mean... It is dark, I'm man. trying to remember things I wrote when I was that age. I know I wrote a story in some contest in third grade called The Wizard of Woohoo, where it was like a wizard fighting a ghost. Yeah. But, so, I mean, you know, I was into that kind of thing, too. But, but still, certainly no sisters were dying or anything. No. Like <laughs> this is still a pretty thoughtful story, especially for an eight-year-old, because he was holding onto the fox. He wasn't able to swim as well with his sister. I'm, I think that's But with that $10,000, he can buy absolutely anything. But the one thing he can't buy is the life of his sister. Right. Yeah. Which is... Which is actually more of a poignant last sentence than a lot of the things that he wrote when he was in his 20s. The, the next one that we're going to cover here is called... The Mystery of the Graveyard, or, or A Dead Man's Revenge. A Detective Story by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> a so really, detective it has, story. It has three titles, really. This is, before we get into it, this one was one of the, this really confused me. I had a hard time <laughs> it is hard with to it. Understand. I didn't know what was going on and who was doing what, and it took me and Chad sitting here together <laughs> to kind of break it down to figure out what... That was the mystery. Yes. Is is what happened. Well, there's a lot of characters, actually, and there's a lot of names in this, and there's a lot of chapters. There are a lot of chapters. I I imagine that if I'd have looked at just the table of contents of this, I'd have been, Chris, we can't cover this in one episode. (laughs) But fortunately, most chapters are only uh, one or two sentences long. Yeah. Chapter one is called The Burns' Tomb, or The Burns' Tomb. And this is the first sentence. It was noon in the little village of Mainville, and a sorrowful group of people were standing around the Burns tomb. Joseph Burns was dead. Okay, following it so far, we're in the little village of Mainville. Joseph Burns has died. People greatly regretted his death, so Mm -hmm. he's fairly popular. But he had given instructions to the rector of this church before he died. Yeah. Before you put my body in the tomb, drop this ball onto the floor at a spot marked A. And then there's a, a small golden ball that, that, he, that, that he, he gave the rector. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so when the funeral's over, the rector, who he now names Mr. Dobson, it's mm-hmm. important to remember, his name's Mr. Dobson, says, I'm going to gratify his wishes. He descends down into uh, the tomb. Yep. And everybody kind of gets impatient because he's not coming back up. So his lawyer runs down there to find him, and he comes back up and he goes, Mr. Dobson is not there. He's gone. He's disappeared. Vanished. Gets us into chapter two, Mysterious Mr. Bell. We are flashing over to the Dobson mansion. So apparently this rector is very wealthy. Yeah, I don't Uh, think rectors usually make a lot of money, but but I'm going with uh, it. He inherited it. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) daughter shows up and there's an old man at the door and he says, I know where your father is. And for 10,000 pounds, I will restore him. My name is Mr. Bell. And she goes, hmm. Can you just give me a second? She walks away. This is what Chris and I had to puzzle out this timeline. So I'm going to run through it really fast here. She goes away. She comes back out in, in a short time. And she uh-huh. says, Mr. Bell, I understand you. You have abducted my father and hold him for a ransom. All right. That's end of chapter Freeze two. Freeze the action. Go to Freeze. chapter three. Freeze this. Yeah. So chapter three, we're at the police station. And the police go, <laughs> <laughs> the police go, oh, no, uh, something bad. This guy's been kidnapped. Let's yeah. get king john on it now, right but they, they get a phone call it's three twenty in the afternoon and the telephone rings yes at the police station and uh the person gibson the guy who answers it he's giving names to everybody in the yes. story whether it's important or not have found out about father's disappearance a woman's voice says i'm miss dobson my father's been abducted and and they're gonna call king john right Who's yes. King John? King John is a famous Western detective. Right. Now, it says here that this happens at 3.20. Now, going back to the last chapter, yeah. uh, when 
it's it starts off at three ten. Yes. So this this is with well, this phone call is we're kind of getting the other side of it. Exactly. That's what she did when she left the room right. for a moment. She called the police. So that takes us chapter four, the West Window. So it's it even says now let us return to the Dobson Mansion. Uh, Mr. Bell was kind of surprised that she said that and says, well, you know, you don't have to put it so plain, but he's interrupted by King John. Yeah, he jumps in, boo! With a brace of revolvers in his hands, bars all egress by the doorway. But before he can do anything, Bell springs to a window and jumps. So, yeah. <laughs> so he came to the door. She goes, hold on a second. She went to the back. She called the police. Yep. Came she back She returned. Out. Yes. And said, hey... You kidnapped my father. Then he says... Before he can even get through his sentence. He doesn't finish the sentence. King John jumps out. The police are there. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what kind of communication and transportation system they have, but it is outstanding. Yes. Uh, Lovecraft should have been some kind of civic planner or something like that. <laughs> Chapter 5, The Secret of the Grave. Now, let us return to the station house. Because what had happened we forgot to mention at the very last sentence of chapter three mm -hmm. when we were back at the, is that another dude had run into the station and said, Oh, terrors come to the graveyard. Yes. And so we're back to about this guy. So chapter five, we're going to talk about what that guy means. Yeah. So he's the excited visitor. Uh, he says he'd seen three men in the graveyard shouting, bell, bell, where are you old man? And bell was the guy that came to the door that jumped mm -hmm. out of the window. Remember? Right. And, uh, he followed them because they were acting suspiciously as they went into the tomb, the mm -hmm. burns tomb. Yep. They touched a spring at a point marked A, and then they disappeared. Yep. Then it's the chase for Bell, chapter six. He's back at the Dobson mansion. Uh, King John's pretty confounded that Bell jumped out the window, but when we, we, we better kind of we're, we're taking a little time with this. We should speed through a little faster. He tracks him down. He says, "I gotta get that guy." He tracks him down to the railroad station. Yeah, he got. He jumped on a train inside. The, the next chapter is called "The Negro Hackman." And I was like, "What's a hackman, <laughs> Pfeiffer?" It's a cab driver, essentially. Oh uh, yeah, because when the story was written, people weren't driving right. cars. They were Coaching still, horses. They were still doing horses. And this is the Negro Hackman who's standing by the door, and he goes, "Take me to Kent in fifteen minutes. I'll give you a dollar." And he goes, "I can't. It's impossible to get to Kent in fifteen minutes." He goes, "All right, two dollars." And then boom, they're off. Yeah. And then chapter <laughs> eight, we meet the accomplices of Bell. There's an old woman and a guy. Lindy. Bell's gonna arrive at eleven thirty, and then we're gonna take him to the wharf and they're going to sail for Africa. And they're scared King John might show up. And it turns out that's a good fear because when they do get down, Bell shows up, they all go down to get on the ship to Africa and somebody steps out of the darkness and says, John Bell, I arrest you in the Queen's name. And it's King John. It's King John. Yeah. So that takes us to the trial. <laughs> the trial. <laughs> the trial goes on uh, and Bell's on trial for, for, mm -hmm. for, for doing this. And he goes, so what's what? What's the secret of Burns' tomb? Like, what, how, what happened to... To Dobson, like where is he? And he goes, "Oh, I'm right here." Dobson's at <laughs> at the trial. Yeah. Hey, at the, you know, he he busted in and says, "They go, whoa, whoa, how are you here?" And he goes, "It's a long story." So chapter ten. <laughs> That's his story. Although you know, Bella had said, "If you go to the tomb and touch a certain spot marked A, you'll find you'll find out." Right. So Dobson says, "Yeah, I went down, touched it, and uh, it leads into a secret apartment." That's below. Well, the tomb. Dude, Bell popped up when he hit the A. The uh, a trapdoor opened and a man sprang up, and it was Bell. Right. He <laughs> grabbed him and he brought him down to a palatial apartment, and right. it was like, "You're just gonna live here now for for a long time, or yeah. until he gets the ransom money." Until he gets the ransom. So he was living in a palatial apartment, but Bell had left his key behind at one point, and he took an impression in wax, and he grabbed some so, keys, and he made his own. Duplicates. The, so the question to me on this one, or was he also living there? Was Bell living there while he had him imprisoned in the place? Yeah. 
So they sure. were kind of like roommates? They were roommates, yeah. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> okay. But he managed to copy the key, he escaped, and then we get to chapter 11, The Mystery Unveiled, uh-huh. and he says, why did the late Burns ask you to put the ball there? And Dobson goes, ah, he wanted to get me into trouble. Burns and his brother, Francis Burns, have plotted against me for years. And then the judge goes, seize Francis Burns! Who I guess is... Was there? Was he at the trial? Yeah, he's at the trial. He's yeah, watching because okay, yeah, it amuses him for some reason. And then we get to the conclusion. Which is... Uh, which is chapter 12. Chapter 12. And we'll read it in its entirety here. Yeah. Francis Burns and John Bell were sent to prison for life. Mr. Dobson was cordially welcomed by his daughter, who, by the way, had become Mrs. King John. Lindy and her accomplice were sent to Newgate for 30 days as aiders and abettors of a criminal escape. That's the end of the story. And at the very bottom, it says price, 25 cents. 25 cents for that story. What a a steal. It is a steal, actually. (laughs) Actually, that seems kind of expensive for the time. It is really expensive for the time. But uh, I like that there's some romance at the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little... uh, Miss Dobson married the, the detective. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if his first name is King or if he was actually the King of something. I think that his name is King. His first name's King. You know what? I bet we're pronouncing it. I, I, we're mispronouncing it. Why, why would you say that? It's Kingjin. <laughs> <laughs> you think we would learn by now? Yeah. Well, because right. she's Mrs. King John. Yeah. So his first name's King? Well, it's written by an eight-year-old, so this yeah. guy might actually be a you, King. You think he might actually be Detective King John? Yeah. Like a detective and a king. That's how cool he is. But what, but what would he be king of? Because uh, they're in Britain. They're in Britain. Because he he was bribing her for 10,000 uh, pounds. And they make reference to... The, Kent. The queen. Yeah, the queen as well. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's he him. It, is t- it does take place in England, for sure. Nobody goes, I arrest you in the, in the, name the, of the queen's queen. name. Yeah. He didn't say, I arrest you in my wife's name. <laughs> so is he king of... Or it could be his mother. The queen. He might be... Maybe he's the son. Maybe... Then he'd be Prince John. Yeah, he would be Prince John, you're right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's King Jin. All right, the mysterious ship. There are two versions of it, actually. Right. A short version and a long version. Uh, it says here, the Royal Press, 1902. Yeah, I don't know what that that's about. I don't either, because when was this? This story was written. He was a little, he was old. This was written in 1902. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you know, so yeah, he was 12. He was 12 years mm-hmm. old when he wrote this story. Now, The Mysterious Ship is is not... This one wasn't one of my favorites. Um, yeah, this is my least favorite of... It doesn't... Not much really happens, and it's not very entertaining. This Mysterious Ship show... Uh, well, well it's, it's got chapters as well, and chapter yes. one opens with this. In the spring of 1847, the little village of Ruoville was thrown into a state of excitement by arrival of a strange brig in the harbor. Kind of cool. Yeah. It's got no flag. Excites suspic- suspicion. Nobody knows the name of this uh, ship, but the captain's name, Manuel Ruello. Yeah. And while it's in there, while it's in the harbor, uh, this guy named John Griggs disappears from his house. Yep. And then the ship is gone the next day. Chapter two, the brig goes to, uh, it, it runs into a U.S. frigate, which begins to fight it. Yep. And when that fight is over on board of the U.S. frigate, they realize they're missing somebody. Henry Johns. Chapter three, the brig goes to Madagascar, and when it arrives, the natives freak out and all run away. But when they get back together to regroup, they go, hey. Somebody's missing. It's uh, 
Dahabe. Dahabia, Dahabia. Dahabia. Yeah. And that takes us into chapter four, <laughs> uh, when a 5,000-pound reward is offered for Manuel, the captain. But startling news comes in just at that moment that a nameless brig wrecks on the Florida Keys, which, of course, gets us into chapter five. Yes. <laughs> they go out to Florida, and they get in a fight. I guess, yeah. or no, no, this is, that's when they kind of figure out what the plans are, right? They right. go to Florida and they solve the mystery. Yeah. And the, basically the, whenever a fight would break out, they would launch a submarine and they, the submarine would have dudes on board that would sneak out and kidnap a guy and then get back on the submarine and go back to the ship. Now, I don't understand why they kidnap a guy. They don't, they don't explain, or I'm sorry, Lovecraft does not explain why they're kidnapping people. It goes in the excitement of the fight, they would launch a submarine boat and take what they wanted. What they wanted were, were these what guys. What they wanted were guys. They yeah. wanted men. So they, uh, uh, and by the way, while they're solving this mystery, guess what happens? John Brown has disappeared. What? Chapter six. <laughs> he goes, you know, I got to stop the story here for a minute to tell you something. At the North Pole, there exists a vast continent composed of volcanic soil, a portion of which is open to explorers. It is called No Man's Land. Enough of that business. Let's get to chapter seven. <laughs> <laughs> In the extreme southern part of No Man's Land, they somehow... Found a hut. They, I guess they read Lovecraft's story and they go, oh, maybe we should look there. Right. And they find a hut. And in the hut, chained to the floor, is Griggs, John, and Dahabe. Yeah, John's. Because uh, they still don't know where John Brown is, the last guy to go missing. Right. right? Um, but by the way, uh, Griggs went to Ruralville, John's to the frigate, Dahabe back to Madagascar. Yeah, everybody went back to where they were supposed to be. And they keep... Oh, okay. So they didn't find the submarine. They just figured out that that's what they did. Because yeah. in chapter eight, they actually do find the submarine. Yes. Uh, and they fight them. They kill the pirates. Yeah. And yeah, and, and uh, Manuel Ruella. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, they get Brown back. Yep. Which gets us to the last chapter, chapter nine. Which we'll read in its entirety. Yes, by, by the, the lovely Hazel Holmes. Griggs was royally received as Ruelville. And a dinner was given in honor of Henry John's. The Javier was made king of Madagascar, and Brown was made captain of his ship. The end. That is a yeah. Wow, that's a pretty good ending for those guys. Yeah, things turned out pretty well. Well, yeah, heck yeah, he became king of Madagascar. <laughs> wow. Henry John's kind of got the uh, crap end of the stick compared to these guys. Yeah, he just got a dinner. He got a nice dinner in his honor. <laughs> And I bet everybody at the dinner were like, did you hear about Dahabia? No, he's king of Madagascar now. <laughs> he's just like they, eat, eating his boiled carrots. It probably wasn't even a nice place. It was like the Olive Garden or something. Yeah. That's where they took him. Yeah. Unli unlimited breadsticks and salad. We don't need to order you an entree. <laughs> oh, golly. If but you look at the, the, um, the long version of this story, there are a few more details, but none that really... Uh, no. You know, add, add much more to not, the story. Yeah, not much. The funny thing is, we didn't want to be critical about this stuff, but there was just so much rich story here oh my God. that it took us the whole episode to go through the synopses. We we really didn't have time to. Uh, no. And what's the critique? I mean, this, he wrote this stuff when he was a kid. It's it, it's totally, it's amazing to think that a, a kid that age wrote this stuff. I, yeah. I'm, I'm totally impressed. And it's really fun and interesting to to read. And I, yeah. I have to say, I had way more fun reading this um, by a magnitude of 10 than... Layer of the White Oh Warriors. my god, yeah. And actually, some of these stories I like better than some of Lovecraft's later fiction as well. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's the story where she says, where he says he wants to kick the captain's head off, or the captain says he wants to kick the guy's head off. That's great. That's that's pretty good. 
That's great. It's, I mean, it's all it's all fun stuff, and it's really neat to kind of see where Lovecraft started. Yeah. And really got started when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that everybody starts somewhere, and obviously he got better. <laughs> he did. So, now, uh, the next two that we're going to cover are a little further down. They're stories that Lovecraft wrote when he was like 14 and 18. Yeah. Uh, the Beast in the Cave and the alchemist Alchemist. they're a little longer they're a lot more lovecraftian yeah in terms of the language and that sort of thing and the sophistications of the the themes or i don't know if sophistication is the right word well the gruesomeness the the horror they just feel more like an adult story i mean they're not great but they're still you can definitely sense get a sense of lovecraft in his writing yeah yeah definitely so i'm (laughs) looking forward to covering those and and this has been really fun and it's it's, oh my gosh it's good to be in the room with you man yeah it's great being in the room with you too uh you know i wanted to say something let me just finish saying that yeah it was great being in the room with you too man uh but let me fake that's so fake fake. it really did sound fake no man it's great hanging out with you too you don't need to do it again okay uh like I said, we'll be back with some more Lovecraft next week. Next week, yeah, we're doing more Lovecraft. Yeah, so it's it awesome. wasn't the end when we told you. With you. No, it was kind of. But old. next week will totally be the end. Then that will be the end <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, I'm Chad Fife. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. Ah!